for the week of February 27th, 2022. This is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 574, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news-making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And in Birmingham, Alabama, I'm Michael Giltz. Strauss Voita, Sperling. I have no idea what you just said, but I have a feeling it's actually either Ukrainian or Russian or maybe both. It's Ukrainian for hello. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. So you've picked up on that pretty quickly. Are you are you racing over to Ukraine to to join the uh the insurgency, the 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 it's defense? Not an insurgency, the, yeah, the defense. Uh, I am not because I'm a coward. So I won't ah, be. Okay. But you know, it, it affects everyone everywhere, as we'll get to in the show, through our silly entertainment lens. Obviously, a lot more important stuff is happening. But even here in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, my dentist, I go to the UAB School of Dentistry because I'm poor. And my dentist is a dental school student who is Russian here in, here in the U.S. with his wife. He has family back in Russia. I, I don't even know yet if he has friends and family in the Ukraine, though that's quite common for people in Russia. So, you know, it's impacting him. Obviously, he's here, never intended to go back and live in Russia ever. So I won't speak for him, but I'm assuming he's not a huge fan of Putin. And But it's scary. You know, you got people back there that you know and love, so it's uh, it's not easy. And we'll see a lot of groups and organizations saying, you must condemn Putin, or you cannot perform here, or do this or that. I agree, but it ain't easy for people who have family and relatives still living in Russia. You're worried about if you say, you know, if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, if they say something, they may put other people in peril. So uh, it's not easy. Uh, though I think the decisions that a lot of groups are making are the smart ones, but we'll get to that into Inside Baseball. Yeah, I mean, I, I could point out that uh, even inside Russia, Oleg Berezin, for instance, he is the head of the Association of Cinema Owners, basically the National Association of Theater Owners of Russia, today took the bold move of resigning, actually, uh, very publicly. Wow. Uh, and and so, I mean, that's unless Unless there's remarkable. a coup, that's scary. Yeah, so he, that's very brave of him. I won't criticize people who don't do that because I understand their position, but that's certainly to be applauded. God help him yeah. if, uh, if uh, Putin remains in power for another 10 or 20 years because uh, that's going to have a big impact on his life. That's yeah, that of, is true. You know, and so while the war and the people dying right now are far more important than whether the Batman opens or does not open in Russia, spoiler alert, it is going to open on Friday in Russia. Uh, these are issues that a lot of entertainment and sports companies are going to deal with, and that's what we're going to talk about. But what else are we going to talk about? Well, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we are indeed ready for the Batman. I just feel like I, I Spider-Man, turn off the dark. <laughs> it's yes, that same exactly. guy. He, need, he needs work. He hasn't had any work since Spider-Man, turn off the dark, left Broadway. I actually, so. So, yeah, I saw a, a trailer this week in a movie theater, and it was for a Sony Pictures movie, and it was for Father Stew, I believe, was the name of the film. And, uh, you know, the trailer voice was fine. It wasn't, you know, that, that you know, inner world. But then at the very end, they must have had this, like, in a library somewhere it said showing exclusively in theaters i was like <laughs> what I, I i think that that voice does not go with that trailer so <laughs> in any case uh you know we're ready for the batman the worldwide box office is definitely ready for the batman but first we must report on the strong hold of tom holland's action flick uncharted and other films looking to make some coin before the old cape crusader swoops in and gets rebooted again uh, now, award season, as you know, Michael, it's in full swing. In France, that means they're handing out the Césars, which is that country's equivalent to the Oscars, or as the French might say, since 
they did invent cinema. So the Oscars are our equivalent to the Cesars. That's probably what they're saying over there. Uh, now, the SAG Awards also, they made some real history just last night in both TV and film. And we've got some streaming numbers. And believe us, Jason Bateman and Laura Linney must be smiling. On Inside Baseball, no one is smiling after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. While none of the this matters, as we just mentioned, in comparison to the loss of life and liberty in that particular country, we will look at the crisis from our vantage point of the entertainment industry. And boy, is there a lot to discuss when it comes to movies, music, sports, and more. Look, it's a small world after all, and getting smaller every day. As the latest event, this latest event, it definitely has shown that. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz, Who's going to fill us in on last week's box office? That's right. And we're looking at box office around the world. This is for the week ending February 27th. We cover the entire week's box office because why wouldn't you? And the number one film is Uncharted. The video game turned film starring Tom Holland made another $87 million this week. It's at $225 million worldwide. It's about to triple its budget. Um, no, I'm sorry. The budget is a uh, is a 360, so it's got a little ways to go, but it's in good shape. It'll probably get there. So that is a hit, and I think you can give it solely to Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. You know, they are movie stars. Uh, Tom Holland, especially so, some of the biggest movies of all time, and he's carried them, three of them. So this is fully to his credit. At number two is Death on the Nile. That made another 26 million dollars. That's at 101 million dollars worldwide. One of many movies that could have made more, but kept the lights on at the box office and has done well in context. Certainly, you don't need to put any context for Spider-Man, No Way Home. Another $20 million, $1,850,000,000 worldwide. It passed the original run of Titanic uh, that has been re-released and made more money. But that's a cool little metric since it's never going to get into the top two or three. So that's, that's pretty much done where it's at worldwide. But it's a lot of money. Sing 2 is also making money, another $19 million. That's at $350 million worldwide. The Channing Tatum directorial debut, Dog, is no dog. $17 million this week, $35 million total. It will certainly triple its modest budget of $15 million. That's a win. Then there's the Chinese market. The Battle at Lake Shangzhong 2, a.k.a. Watergate Bridge, made another $13 million, even though the New Year's season is over. It's at $600 million worldwide. Probably less than they anticipated or hoped for, but uh, an excellent number for a sequel for that movie, a huge commercial and perhaps critical success story in China. Too Cool to Kill, that's a Chinese comedy about a comic or a guy who wants to be a comic getting involved in an elaborate scam, that's about to hit $400 million worldwide. Another big success story. Uh, nice View, the Chinese thriller about the brother trying to get medical care for his sister and says, well, I can't take out a loan. I guess I'll you know do a heist. That's about to hit $200 million worldwide. That's all basically from the Chinese market and ancillary markets like Hong Kong. So those movies, $200 million Almost $400 million and just over $600 million are all big successes uh, from that holiday season. You know, uh, I actually up. have a joke about that. In, in oh, I hope it's in to, Chinese. I hope it's in Mandarin. Uh, uh, you, oh, you know what? My Mandarin is far worse than your Ukrainian. <laughs> all right. uh, and that's, that's a low bar. 
Yeah, well, and and so you know how you, we, you know, everybody's always saying, oh, you know, the 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 Chinese film market is just copying all of the the you know Hollywood's moves. It's like, yeah, well, even with sequels, they make less than the original. <laughs> there you go. Uh, speaking of movies from Hollywood, there's Moonfall, the Roland Emmerich disaster flick that made nine million dollars this week, opening up in some new territories. I think it has a lot of territories to go, but it's at uh, you know, thirty-eight, forty million dollars. Jackass Forever is making money. That's about to hit seventy million dollars worldwide. The Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson comedy, romantic comedy, Marry Me, that's at forty-four million dollars worldwide. That's chugging along. Scream is at $140 million. Belfast, looking at some Oscar hopefuls. We have Belfast making another $4 million. That's at $34 million worldwide. Licorice Pizza made about a million dollars. That's at $27 million worldwide. And a movie that was hoping to be an Oscar hopeful but did not pan out is Cyrano. The Peter Dinklage film opened up in theaters worldwide. It's made just under $2 million. It's a little bit less than $2 million, but we'll call it $2 million. You know, just did not get any award season attention at all. I don't know why. The reviews seem to be strong, but that's a movie that just did not hold people's attention. So for whatever reason, it's modestly budgeted at $30 million, but it's going to struggle to get there without having that, you know, big critical support in the spotlight of award season. It looks like it's just going to come and go and disappear pretty quick, but it's a movie that looks worth checking out. I really wanted to check out The Godfather. The 50th anniversary of The Godfather prompted a new remastering, a new cleaning up of the print. They put it out in theaters around the world. It opened up in Russia this week. Long planned, of course. Uh, that movie opened up to $1.4 million worldwide, but not in Birmingham, Alabama. Damn it. <laughs> I really, I was really like, you know what? I really want to see that movie again and on the big screen in a nice new print. I was, I was gung-ho, but it didn't happen. Now, well, are you going to happen? Will you go to Toronto? Uh, you know what? I, I might this year. Uh, you know, it's this year, the Toronto International Film Festival is returning to its in-person only uh, format. I guess the last two years it was in-person and virtual. Uh, I haven't been to the Toronto International Film Festival, TIFF, as it's known, in probably 15 to 18 years. Did you have a TIFF with TIFF, a falling out? No, no. It was just, you know... When you, when you start having kids, all of a sudden that September time frame, it's right in September. It's like, what can you do? You know, the school is starting, stu you know, to leave immediately after school starts or as it's starting, it just became more and more difficult. And why are you deciding to go back? What's changed? Well, uh, number one, I have a 17-year-old, so it's a little <laughs> different now. I don't need you. I don't need right. you, daddy. Just give me the car and the credit card. <laughs> oh my God. It's like you, you sounded just like her, in fact. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much it is the kids are older and, uh, you know, flying to different parts of the world uh, to, well, you know, it would be interesting to go back and see, see how it's progressed. So it's September 8th through the 18th. You'll come back home on September 19th to the 20th. You'll walk in the door and say, Hey, I'm back. And your daughter will say, Oh, were you gone? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> well, in China, they are saying goodbye to the New Year and Spring Festival. Uh, it looks like it had about 50 million fewer admissions than last year, about $250 million less at the box office than last year. A couple reasons. Record high ticket prices. It's not the movies. Yeah. Not the, a lot of people claiming, you know, these are big high ticket prices and the studios are can't point the fingers at the exhibitors. They were requiring record high minimums. So they're saying we have to get at least this much money per ticket. So if the movie theaters didn't at least double that, they were going to be coming up short. 
And, and by the happened. way, you're also copying that from the uh, North American market because, yeah, exactly. you know, oh, if you're people exactly are going, let's raise the prices. Genius. Well, no, well, also the studio is saying, well, we can't set prices. We can't tell you what to charge, but here's what we can do. We can tell you that in your demo, in your, in your DMA, your market, uh, the that five dollars is the lowest amount that is ever charged, and we, you know, have a per cap, meaning for every ticket sold, you know, on average, you have to have a seven dollar per cap, which means you're basically setting the price. Well, the Batman will be opening up in China on March 18th. I wonder what the ticket prices will be. Uh, I don't believe Warner Brothers has the time or the ability to pull the plug. With just two or three weeks to go, maybe that's so. I don't know. Um, Uncharted opens up in China on March 14th. I think that's already opened up in Russia. And the question is, uh, are they charging too many high and too high ticket prices? Well, trying to get people to come back to the movies is a goal. And, you know, it's always a thing. Every year in Europe, there have been countries that do a, hey, movies are great. Little plug to say, hey, go to the movies. Here's a week where we can promote movies, have really low ticket prices, and get you back in the habit of going to the movies. I learned about this from Patrick Von Sikowski and Celluloid Junkie. Yeah, and what's the uh, newsletter called, and where can they subscribe? It's to called it? the, the the Marquee. And actually, if you're interested in the in movies at all and the cinema business at all, uh, it's it's you know he does a good job of kind of summarizing what's going on, not just in North America but the world. Oh, absolutely. It's all around the world. And as he points out, there are lots of events going on. Like in March 20th, they'll have a springtime for cinema in France. All movies will be four euros during three weekdays, probably like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I assume. So, but that's okay. But it's a nice way to promote movies. And even if people don't go, they go, oh yeah, you know, in the UK this week on February 26th, oh, it's just uh, over, happened over the weekend. They had a $4 offering at Cineworld. That chain alone said, we don't care what movie you go to. We don't care if it's on IMAX or whatever. It's $4, roughly $4 US to go to the movies. It's just saying, hey, come to the movies. Remember how great the movies are. And even if you don't do it every year, it seems like a really good idea to do it right now to get people back in the mood of going to the movies. Hollywood should imitate what they're doing in Europe. In all fairness, there was a, a yeah, an initiative. Yeah, done things. Yeah. Cinema Week was held last year in, I think it was September. I, I'd have to go back and look. It right. was like September but, but or October. Then, a, it didn't become annual, and B, well, it was the first one. Again? So, yeah. Well, is, is, are, there, are they planning to do it again? Yes, they are. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. Uh, what, was it low prices, too? I thought yes, it was just a marketing it. campaign. I didn't think they were saying here for one dollar you can go to any movie you want, even on IMAX. I thought it was strictly think, like a promotional thing. Oh no, there were certain specials. Now again, there weren't a lot of movies. No, this out is at the time. this is every movie. This is every movie in any format that's playing right now in the UK at Cineworld. You can see for four dollars. So yes. you know, yeah, you know, they, everybody's got discounts all the time and discount matinees and discount on the weeknights. These are not new things, but it's a good idea. And I hope they do can continue to do it in the U.S. and do it more broadly. Well, yeah, and it would be, I, I mean, part of the problem that they were having is they kept delaying Cinema Week. They're like, it's going to be well, June of pandemic. 2021. Yeah, and then, yeah. yeah. And now, and then, of course, they finally said, okay, we have to do it. And then, and then there were no movies to show. So they had to like show older movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's of course, but this has been going on in Europe for years. It's got nothing to oh, do yeah, with absolutely. COVID as such. And I'm saying beyond COVID, this is just a really good idea. I, I agree. And what do you think about the Cesars? 
I think uh, that it's a great way to learn French. If you watch them, you can like pick up words here and there and go, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. You, you know, C'est I, magnifique. I Right, yeah, that's right. Exactly. France handed the César Awards, are their top cinema awards, and uh, they handed out those awards uh, this week, and they will have no impact on the Oscars, mainly because of the movies that were nominated and the cycle that we're in. Maybe uh, the movies will become available and up for the international film or something or have an impact next year. That's not happening this year. And yes, the Oscars are our equivalent of the Césars, but in fact, the Césars began in 1976, so we were first. <laughs> so so um, there you go. Yeah. And if you're looking for good movies to check out, it's a good idea. What was the top winner? Uh, what was it? Uh, in Lost Illusions, I think. That's right. No. It won seven, yes, it won seven awards, including Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Newcomer. Oh, I forgot to look up his name pronunciation. Benjamin Voison. Ah, no, Voison. Yeah. Voison. I don't know. He's an actor from Ozan Summer of 85. I saw him in that film. He does a great job here. It's based on a novel by Balzac, and he plays a poor poet. Is there any other type who's having a romance with a baroness? So that was the big winner. That's you say, all right, I want to watch Lost Illusions. Uh, the musical Annette won five awards, including Best Director and Best First Film. Another movie I want to keep an eye on is Magnetic Beats, a drama set in the 1980s about a kid drafted into the military and sent to Berlin. So that sounds interesting. So that's the Cesar Awards, but there's a much bigger award that happened over the weekend. Yes, uh, the Annies were held. No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, I like the Annies. I love the Annies. I don't know if they were held over the weekend, though, so that's why I was kidding, not because they're not great awards. Uh, now, the Annies are, they celebrate uh, animated films, and the SAG Awards, I guess, celebrate acting. And where do you want to start here? Because I'm well, not sure that there, we, there were surprises we, and not surprises. There were tons of everything was a surprise, I thought. Uh, and the oh, SAG really? Award is the largest voting block. Actors the largest voting block at the Oscars. Now, a lot of people voted SAG who are not eligible to vote for the Oscars, so it's not a one-on-one -on -one thing. But when the actors, people get together and vote for an actor or an actress, you got to think that's a good, strong indicator in a year that there's pretty wide open stuff going on. And they, they made some surprises almost everywhere. Maybe the only thing that wasn't a surprise was the expectation that Will Smith would win for Best Actor. I don't think he's going to win the Oscar, or I hadn't thought, Maybe that's going to change now based on what happened here. But he did win Best Actor for King Richard, the film about Richard Williams, the father of Venus and Serena Williams. But all the rest were pretty, you know, up in the air. Best film was Coda, which I'm sure you're happy about. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, I actually have people coming up to me now at conferences and saying, hey, I finally saw that Coda. It's really great. I'm like, it yeah, also won Best Supporting Actor. In your movie theater. Yeah. yeah, the Best, the best Supporting actor. actor. Did Did you see the speech? Nope. Uh, it's very, uh, Troy Kotzer, uh, look it up. It's, it's a very nice speech. He, he did it in sign language, of course. Uh-huh. And, and, and did, you, did you watch that and think that's a great moment? The people at the Oscars are going to want to see that again. They're going to, that, did that touch them? Did that help win over voters? Do you think you thought, wow, that's a great moment. Oh, absolutely. It was definitely a really good, you know, he tells his kid, Hey, this is not for hanging your jewelry. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, cause I thought uh, Jessica Chastain won best actress for the eyes of Tammy Faye. Uh, that, you know, that's a wide open race, press actress. And I only read a quote that she gave. I don't know if it was the press stuff afterwards or on stage, but she called Tammy Faye a trailblazer. And I'm like, eh, no, not really. She's more of a shyster who, you know, spent money left and right, living off, you know, conning people into giving money and then living like a queen. Go, oh, I had no idea. You know, it's like the movie is a little too kind to her, to, to Tammy Faye. And she didn't have to call her a trailblazer like she's some important figure. She's not. 
<laughs> she's a pop culture figure who profited from ripping people off and taking their money and spending it on herself rather than works of charity. So not my idea of a trailblazer. And I don't know whether people would find that rubbing them the wrong way. It's like the movie's very gentle on Tammy Faye. That's okay. I didn't need to excoriate her. But, you know, she's not Rosa Parks, for God's sake. She's not a trailblazer. What did she trailblaze? Criminality? You know. Well, okay, but let's look at that category for the Oscars, right? You've That's got wide Jessica, open. Yeah. Yeah. Jessica Chastain, Olivia Coleman, Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers, Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos, and Kristen Stewart for Spencer. If you wanted to go with somebody who hasn't won an Academy Award, you'd go with Chastain or Stewart because they're Except the only ones that, that people won. who have won already are often more likely to win again. So why would you want to go with someone who hasn't won the award already? That's why I might pick Olivia Coleman. They've oh, already yeah, named true. her a best actor. So, you know, that's a movie. Mother, daughters, powerful performance, powerful movie. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. I'm just, I'm telling what people are describing it as. So that was my, not having seen the films, that was my pick, Olivia Coleman. But now Jessica Chastain has won SAG. That helps. Did her, her, did her award acceptance speech hurt her? That was my question. Do you think that's true? Or like nobody noticed that she called Tammy Faye basically an important pioneer? I didn't see that particular speech. I tend not to watch the SAG Awards because if you start watching these things, you you just, I mean, you could literally spend all of January through March watching these awards. Yeah, I don't, I don't watch anything except the big, the big four, the EGOTs. Uh, and yes. Best Supporting Actress was also perhaps expected, Ariana DeBose for West Side Story. Uh, so this is cool. She is the first queer woman of color to win an acting award at the SAG. So that's cool. I believe that's in television or film. In TV, Succession and Ted Lasso won the top dramas. But the two lead actors of Squid Game won Best Actor and Best Actress. And that's the first time people have won for performances in a non-English speaking TV show. So we had those people winning for a Korean show. We had Ariana DeBose breaking down barriers for queer women of color. And we had Troy Kotzer winning the award as a, as a deaf actor. And the film with a, a, a largely deaf ensemble winning best film. So that's a lot of barriers broken. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, look, it, I'm always uh, amazed after the... After, you know, nights like last night where you have Will Smith win, it's like, well, yeah, he was up for it. He could win. And people are like, oh, this changes the Oscar race. I'm like, really? Does it? I guess not well, really. Because sure, that's a biggest voting block. And therefore, the ones that they pick, you got to feel like, well, that's got some wind in their sails. Do you think that uh, best picture might go to uh, at the Oscars will go to CODA? I don't know. I mean, that's obviously now I would not have thought it had a shot. Now I think it has a shot. I still feel like the power of the dog is the front runner. It has the most nominations. I don't think people care that it's on Netflix. I think they, I think, you know, the movie with the most nominations tends to be the front runner, unless you think for some reason it's mostly technical nominations. That's not the case here. It had a strong across the board nominations in every potential category, really. So I still think that uh, power of the dog is the one that's going to win. But certainly when you look at a number two, suddenly I'm thinking Coda. Well, what about Best Supporting Actor? Troy Kotzer, do you think he can repeat? Well, everybody, like you say, if you're nominated, of course yeah, you can right. win. Yeah. I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any locks. All right. I think with the act, you know, it's a, the best actress is wide open. Best actress probably down to Will Smith and Benedict Cumberbatch. Best Supporting Actor and Actress are always wild cards. You never know. Um, I you, you do say, all right, if they like a movie a lot, like West Side Story, and you don't see it winning picture or director or screenplay or this or that, you say, well, where's it going? You know, they love the movie. They're probably going to give it something. Best Supporting Actress may be it. The same thing holds for Coda. 
I don't, you know, assuming it doesn't win best picture and doesn't become the Cinderella of the season, you're going to want to, uh, you know, award it something. Probably that's people don't consciously say, well, but they, they love the movie. That's maybe where they're going to want to recognize it. True. And come Emmy time, uh, people are going to want to recognize Ozark. One of the biggest hits of the last few years, Ozark is a monster. We have streaming numbers this week. We don't get them every week, but Nielsen reports on Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Hulu, Netflix, and Apple. This is just smart TV watching in the United States. Doesn't cover my watching of stuff on my laptop or people watching on their phone, and it doesn't cover the world. It just covers the United States, but it's something. But it does cover uh, Roku, we know, correct? Hey. It does cover Roku, you're saying? Well, Roku is a smart, smart device. It's not a streaming company. So where I was listing the comp, the streaming services that they were, they do not, they do not include Roku shows. If that's what you. No, mean. no, no. I mean, but like if I watch something on Roku, it will then be counted in because it's a smart TV device. I yes, I believe I believe it is, but okay. don't hold me to that. But yeah, but Roku shows are not covered because Nielsen doesn't have access to that for some reason. Right. Okay. So these are the only five shows that could get on there. You see HBO's not on here, Roku's not on here, and whatever other streamers there are are not on here. There are a lot of them, right? So those numbers yeah. aren't included. But and do, more every day. <laughs> that's that's right. Yeah, exactly. But you know, we do know in streaming Discovery hit 22 million subscribers. So that was a, a little milestone for them as they get ready to do their big merger. But Ozark, big, big success story, by far the biggest property this week. And we're looking at the end of January. It's the week of January 24th through the 30th. I don't know why it takes a month for these numbers to come out because they're not giving us the monthly totals. They're not giving us 30 days of totals, in which case I would understand. They're just talking about how much was watched in this week a month ago. If you know why it takes a month for these numbers to come out rather than, you know, five days later or three days later, tell us. Yes, you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail, and we might even play it here on, on the program. You can uh, call us at 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. And you know what? We're also on Twitter, at showbizsandbox is our handle. And we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandboxes, where you can like our page. That's right. So only two properties have ever topped 4 billion minutes in viewing since we've been recording and covering this sort of thing uh, uh, in one week, of course. And those properties are Tiger King, which did it twice. It even hit 5 billion minutes one week. And Ozark, which has now done it for the second time. It too hit 5 billion previously. Both of those hit 5 billion viewing minutes in the early days of the pandemic when everyone was locked down, sitting around their house going, dear God, what am I going to do? I'm going to sign up for a streaming service. <laughs> so that's when they hit those 5 billion mark. But now, you know, it's done it again with 4 billion minutes. And what happened? They dropped the first part of season four. I was a little off last week. They have announced it's the fourth and final season of Ozark, I believe. Part two is going to drop in April, a little earlier than they expected. So they dropped the first like seven episodes or whatever of the final season. That was at the end of January, right before this week happened. And then... In four weeks later, in April, they're going to drop part two, and that will be the end of Ozark. Big as ever. So big success story. It grew from last week, 4.1 billion minutes viewed. Uh, number two is the Book of Boba Fett. That grew this week, 744 million minutes viewed. And you can see 4 billion, 744 million for Boba Fett. If you add number two through 10 in the top 10 original series, it's not as much as Ozark made all on its own. And if you look at our chart, you'll see, we'll tell you if the audience grew this week or that week, 
when the episodes dropped or whether they're dropping weekly. Like for Boba Fett, you can see we say this is the fifth of seven episodes. That's what dropped during the week of January 24th, the week that we're talking about. So you can track along and say, okay, The Woman in the House, that little satirical series with Kristen Bell, that dropped uh, on this week, January 28th. Uh, Archive 81, that dropped down from uh, you know 50% from the first week. So people sampled this show, Archive 81 on Netflix, but it's not holding people. So you can pull a lot of information if you study it and see what's going on. It's all the way from Ozark down to number 10, an original series on Netflix called Cheer, which had 287 million minutes this week. Uh, season two dropped on January 12th, so not a surprise it would be trending down a bit. And our in-house film critic, Aaron Rich, did say that this show dealt with the scandal of one of the actors in real life, did a good job dealing with that. Uh, so that, that's a, this is a nonfiction series, right, Cheer? Yeah. Yeah, yes. so uh, to, I just uh, I didn't make that clear because uh, I think all the others right now happen to be uh, fictional. Uh, but this chart is just original series. So fiction or nonfiction, Tiger King or Ozark, it doesn't matter. You're on that original list. So check out our charts. It's useful and uh, it's important to see who's doing well and who's doing not. And, you know, when we get the numbers from all the other services and maybe worldwide or at least North America, including Canada and get HBO Max in there, that'll be a big deal. That'll be really exciting. We'll really have a much better view of what's happening in television. Wait, did, I, I'm pretty sure you just said the word. What? Television. I did. I which did is a say big, television. Yeah, television's a big deal. That's so it must true. be time for Big Deal or Big Whoop, our weekly segment where we discuss some of the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. We talked about the Oscars just moments ago, right? Mm-hmm. And the Oscar for, hold on, I have it. I just have to get the oh, envelope. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and it goes to, wait, 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 is this, is this camera on? Wait, actually, no, no it's actually. Not. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not on the Academy announced that eight awards will be handed out before the live broadcast begins on ABC this year. They include the awards you might expect, the three shorts, uh, you know, so short documentary, et cetera, uh, the makeup and hairstyling, score, production design, sound, and film editing. Never mind the fact that a movie is editing, okay, mm-hmm. unless you're, you know, uh, uh, in your Ritu in that one movie. But in any case, all eight <laughs> awards will be handed out. Film. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, and the winners edited seamlessly into the live broadcast. One way or another, they're going to figure out how to do that. Uh, that will leave more time for clips, musical performances, and comedy, which is exactly why we don't tune in to the Oscars. <laughs> uh, but is this a big deal or a big whoop? Well, it's a big deal. People are up in arms. They're angry. There are 23 awards in all. There used to be 24. But sound editing and sound mixing, which are two distinct um, talents, but which are often done by the same team or a lot of overlap, they were explicitly combined into one category, best sound, and they were told, they were promised that if you combine your two awards into one, we will keep you on the air. And they have already (laughs) gone against that and said, nah, not so much. Well, you're on the air. Like, we'll show a clip of you accepting it. But no, they will not be handing out that award on the air. So they lied to them or they went back on their word is probably a better way to say it. So that's not good. Does the show need trimming? Can the three shorts be off air? Absolutely. Nobody thinks the three shorts need to be on the air. Best live action short, best animated short, best documentary short. Yes. Give them off during the commercial break. And if there's a great clip to show of an acceptance speech or part of an acceptance speech. Yes. Fine. That makes sense. The others, though. There's great ways to improve the broadcast 
cutting out the awards you're handing out probably isn't one of them. It's not. Yeah, it's it is not an sh- awards telecast. Right. But and they only have 23 and you can get rid of three of them and nobody will complain. You will have 20 awards if you get rid of the shorts. Nobody cares about those. I mean, I do. It's interesting. It's fascinating. Great talent comes from out of it. But that's not something you need to worry about. The Grammys have like 200 awards. They can't do it all on the air. Uh, The same thing with the Emmys. They have 50, 60, 70 awards that they do. And that's just for primetime. So yes, they can't do it on the air. They have the daytime Emmys, the primetime Emmys. And there's too many technical categories. They can't. But the Oscars are just 20 awards. It can be done well. It can be done more quickly. There are ways to speed it up. There are ways to provide more clips. And what you should begin with is not have comedy filler because that's exactly why we don't turn tune into the Oscars. We don't need filler from the host to keep us entertained in between awards. We want to learn about the movies, celebrate the movies, show clips from the movies, get us a sense of what movies you're celebrating since most people haven't seen them and give out the awards. And of course, half the time, some of the better you know, speeches come from the makeup person or the editing person or the or the whatever it is, the sound. You know, it's not the actor and actress who lists and thanks their, you know, lawyer. So it's it's well intentioned but stupid. Dump the shorts, absolutely, tighten it up. Yes, cut the comedy. There has been some speculation, and I'm not saying this is true, that ABC turned to them and said, We're going to reduce our licensing fee. If well, I'm sure that the, rating, the ratings are falling. We all agree that things need to be improved and changed, but cutting out these awards isn't going to make anybody tune into the show. No one's going to say, oh, thank God, I don't have to watch the makeup award. I can't wait to watch the show. It's going to be a great hour of comedy from, you know, James Corden or, or Jimmy Fallon. It's like, I'm not there to see comedy. If I want sketch comedy and I don't, I'll watch Saturday Night Live. Help us celebrate the movies. Can you add in a stunt award? Well, there's there's no guild that's part of the Oscars yet or part of the Academy. But if you invited these stunt people into the Academy and you had them there, could you give an award to the best stunts, which would include more movies? But guess what? That's the other irony. The awards that these are, score, production design, sound, guess who's going to win it? Big fat movies like Dune and Spider-Man, the movies people have actually seen. So you're getting rid of the chance to talk about the movies people actually see and love. So your big complaint, we got to have more of these movies. Well, guess what? People watch Mad Max Fury Road sweep the technical awards, and you've just removed that from the live broadcast. It also well, and ends- score. So, so you don't want to have Hans Zimmer or John Williams? Or, I, well, mean, I know John well, Williams is nominated. Just, the movie will probably be Dune. It's not always, but Dune will probably win best score, which means another chance to honor a movie that was one of the big success stories of the year. Best special effects, well, that's on air. But all these technical awards are often dominated by the big budget Hollywood blockbusters people have actually seen. So removing them from the air removes those films from more airtime. So what? You can have more sketches and... More importantly, you lose the drama. When Mad Max won every technical award in sight, I thought, oh my God, this movie might actually win Best Picture. You know, they often, you can see that split where, and there was no acting and stuff for it to pick up momentum and keep it going. But, you know, for a little bit there, I thought, you know what? There's a lot of love for this movie. It could win Best Picture. It didn't, but it made it for a more exciting broadcast. Yeah, well, you know, uh, (laughs) we don't talk uh, about the Oscars. We don't talk about the Oscars. Yeah, that's where I was headed with this. I was going to say, you know, if Lin-Manuel Miranda wins for, although he wouldn't because he's not nominated for score, I don't believe. He's nominated for best song, so he will he very song, well yes, could become correct. an EGOT if he wins best song. Right. Uh, I think, well, yeah. And that would be, uh, and that best song is still part of the live broadcast. 
And all yes, these awards, correct. there's potential of them showing all or part of the acceptance speech. They'll just do it in a quicker fashion, not announce all the nominees, not show them walking up to the stage and stuff like that. Yeah, the walking up takes a good 15 minutes. Like when you actually put it all together, it's 15 minutes of the three yeah. hours. So, But so they want to see the clothes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, you, we just talked about Encanto for half a second there, but speaking of the Oscars and, and Encanto, a hit soundtrack can only help a film, and that's exactly what we've got with Encanto. The animated musical sees the album it spawned on top of the Billboard charts for the sixth week in a row. The hit song, We Don't Talk About Bruno, is the number one song for the fourth week in a row. It only needs, what, like 36 more, and Lil Nas X, it's coming for you, I'm telling you. <laughs> It's definitely coming for you. Well, that makes Bruno the biggest hit in Disney history. It, pa it passes the animated hit song, A Whole New World, which was from Aladdin, and the Brian Adams song, All for Love. All for, yeah, All for Love. Doing it all from the live for action. love. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was the Three Musketeers, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time in almost 30 years that a song and soundtrack have topped the charts together for four weeks. What was the last one? It was The Bodyguard with Whitney Houston 29 Excellent. years ago. I Will Always Love You and The Bodyguard soundtrack, which horrendously won Best Album of the Year. It's a crappy album, but, you know, there's barely like four songs on it worth listening to. And that was that was a Shonda, but it happens. And, uh, well, is any of this a big deal or a big whoop? Well, it's a big deal for the tea leaves of the Oscars. Otherwise, no. But, you know, it's another success story for Lin-Manuel Miranda. That's for sure. That is true. And uh, speaking of success stories, that was really quick, mostly because it had to be. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about producer Chris Licht. He is taking over CNN after Jeff Zucker was pushed out of his job for, well, I guess it was for not divulging a romantic relationship with another employee, among in other part, things. In part, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Licht will, uh, like Zucker before him, is a hotshot young producer like me, who's enjoyed mm -hmm. success everywhere he's gone. Unlike me. Uh, first, he launched Morning Joe on MSNBC. Then he retooled CBS this morning, which is still third in the morning show wars, but a healthy third rather than an afterthought. More recently, he helped Stephen Colbert gain traction in late night and become the top show amidst the pandemic. And now he's taking over CNN. So what are we going to get? Like more chat, less opinion. Are we going to get it? Is it going to be like personality driven, news driven? I mean, we're, we're going to see, right? But certainly more hit franchises and more attention to everyday part rather than primetime seems really the order of the day. Big deal or big whoop? Yes, more hits is always a good idea. <laughs> it's very funny how similar his career maps out to uh, Jeff Zucker. You know, it's a very, oh, yeah, absolutely. very, very interesting. Uh, they talked about, oh, this was a rushed decision. They were hoping to wait a while. They didn't want to do it while they were merging and all that. I'm thinking they probably would have lighted on Chris Licht anyway, and this was the time to do it. Colbert and them were just trying to tie him up with a long-term production deal. So they may have gotten lucky or being forced to act quickly and getting Chris Licht before he was really locked in long-term. Uh, he'd already had, of course, complex, complicated deals, but he felt this was the right time to step on and conquer new worlds, and they got him before he had some golden handcuffs on him at the Late Show. Uh, so they may have lucked out here, but we'll, we'll have to see. I have no idea what he is quality-wise. He's had success. Whether he does good work or not, I don't know, but looking forward to seeing what happens. And we are available for a daytime slot. <laughs> yes, uh, you can crossfire. It would be like a crossfire, but with, with flowers. I, I don't know, like what, what's the opposite of crossfire? Uh, you know, shootout. I don't know. What, what, what would be our show if we had a, a show on CNN? Showbiz Sandbox. Yeah, as a matter of fact, get 
get Chris Licht on the line. Yeah, covering the business of entertainment. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even maybe a little, you know, we'd have to explain some stuff to people because we do talk about some really like uh, insidery stuff. That's true. Like, like during Inside Baseball, which is, uh, you know, it's where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and more importantly, how they affect you. And I'll tell you, this is how uh, this this week's stories will affect you. You're probably not going to see Russia in too many sporting events soon because the unprovoked invasion of Ukraine continues. And of course, the major issues of the biggest land war in Europe since World War II loom large. The first headlines about its impact on the entertainment business seemed silly at first. Eurovision weighed in. Oh, okay, great. And then they kind of became not so silly. The world really is interconnected like never before. Some of us learned that Ukraine is the source of 90% of the neon gas used in the United States for lasers and the creation of computer chips. Who knew that? Other, uh, others discovered Russia dominates the fertilizer market and thus has a big impact on food prices around the world. Yeah, whoops. And entertainment, by the way, is no different in ways large and small. The war raises a lot of issues that global entertainment companies and local film festivals must grapple with right now. In fact, even Hollywood studios, as we kind of mentioned earlier in the program, here are some examples. I'm going to turn it over to you, Michael. You can give us a rundown. Well, first I was just giggling because war was just launching and happening. And the first entertainment headline that I saw was Eurovision announces they will remain neutral and Poland and I mean, Ukraine and Russia will both be welcomed at the Eurovision song kind of, we are neutral, we are neutral. I was like, really? Did you feel the need to rush that out? That would seem bizarre. And then there were three or four others, including The Simpsons and other things. And I thought, oh God, this is so silly. But of course, as a day or two later, there were a lot of serious and complicated issues that have arisen. And so it's actually become interesting. Happily, Eurovision rethought its position and said, actually, no, when you attack a a fellow European country, we don't want to welcome you to Eurovision. So they've now banned Russia from Eurovision, which is the only reasonable stance to take. Otherwise, you know, Ukraine first joined in 1993 and Russia in 94. Obviously, the Soviet Union had to collapse before this happened. Georgia uh, joined in 2004. And you know, if we welcome them all in, even as they invade other countries, then we've got the whole idea of Nazi Germany taking part in Eurovision and singing Tomorrow Belongs to Me from Cabaret or something. So, you know, yes, they made the right decision. But, for example, Russian conductor Valery Gergiev, he is a world-renowned conductor who plays with orchestras all over the world, long acclaimed, long been seen all over the world. He's also in recent years faced modest and but persistent protests. People have said, why are you allowing this apologist for Putin to perform here in Berlin or the United States or wherever he's performing? They're saying this man loudly and aggressively champions Putin. He's not someone who's trying to keep his head down and he's got family and he just wants to do his work and he's not willing to denounce him. He's actively saying, I love Putin. Putin's great. You know, and so they have been protesting for quite a while now. Finally, now he's paying a price. And so this man is being dumped by orchestras. He's not being, he's being disinvited from conducting. He's being told he will be dropped from his positions unless he somehow turns around and says, I denounce Putin and the war that's going on. Will that happen? It doesn't seem like it because he likes Putin. You know, it doesn't seem like it was something he did grudgingly. It seemed like he did loudly and aggressively for many years. The Metropolitan Opera, we're sticking with music here. They obviously have many Russian singers performing in their shows throughout the years. They said they will cut ties with any singers and artists who don't condemn Putin. 
I don't know how that's going to work. Maybe you've got somebody five yeah, years. I, 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 well, I mean, I obviously, think- any, any shows that are happening in the next year, Russian uh, performers won't be welcome. But uh, what if you have family back there? What do you do two years from now? If they didn't condemn him now, does that mean two years from now you won't work with them? When will you stop holding them accountable for not having supported him? Or do you penalize people who loudly support Putin? You know, it's just, I don't know how you handle that or what you do, where you say, if you're Russian, we don't want you, which seems unfair. So I don't know how that works. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah. Um, But a lot of Western acts, of course, tour in Russia. It's a big market. And we'll get to that when we talk about movies. A lot of Western acts are scheduled to perform in Russia over the next few months. The first one to cancel was AJR. That's a U.S. trio of brothers, kind of like the Jonas Brothers. They were the first to say, we can't go there right now. Uh, forget feeling safe or not. We just stand with the Ukrainian people and the Russian people that we love. And we, we know war. Green Day was ready to do a stadium tour. I think in May they have canceled. A lot of other acts are going to follow. They simply won't be able to go because a it's not safe or b they're not willing to go to Russia and party while all this is happening. That includes the killers, my chemical romance, Bjork, gorillas, imagine dragons, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Deep Purple. I guess there was some sort of metal festival. Even Girl in Red and Khalid and One Republic, they all have tours or shows happening in Russia and they're all going to pull out. But how long does that last for? You have to think, well, am I willing to tour in Russia in 2023? What if they haven't, maybe even if they pulled out, if they've never said we're sorry or paid any reparations or are still arguing, do you, are you ready to go back and ignore that? Or what do you need to have happen before you're willing to go back into Russia? And is this a political stance or is this just a safety stance where you say, well, we just can't tour there right now. It's not safe. Oh, and Eric Clapton, he's yeah. got a tour going in Russia, but he's fine. He's like, as long as I don't have to wear a mask, I don't care. <laughs> well, you won't have to wear a mask. A gas mask, maybe, but not. not. <laughs> yeah, but it, there's no end to where this 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 is having influence. In books, the Frankfurt Book Fair in Germany is one of the major publishing events in Europe. They are cutting ties with Russian publishers. Again, for how long? Forever? Uh, I don't know. Uh, or until Putin is out of power? That these are decisions they're going to have to think about. And art, the Venice Art Biennial, they are dumping the Russian pavilion. In movies. There is a call from the Ukrainian film industry to boycott Russian cinema and Russian-backed movies at film festivals. Now Hollywood's in a pickle. Warner Brothers, it's too late for them to pull the Batman. That's opening up this week. Technically, it's just not going to happen. That's okay. But what about the rest of the movies for this year and next year? At its peak in the last decade, in the 2020s, Russian box office hit $1 billion or more, or a smidge less, in six of the 10 years in the 2010s. It's last year in 2019, before the pandemic, it was $870 million. It was down a bit. And of course, we've now had the pandemic. But this is a billion-dollar market. When are they going to agree to start showing their movies in Russia again? And what sort of criteria are they going to be looking for? Simply, there's no well, battle they haven't, no war. They haven't said they wouldn't. They, well, you know, I know. They, I know. Right? But I'm assuming that they're not going to open up movies in May and say, oh, well, you know, maybe they will. But that, these are questions well, they have to grapple with. What do you think they should do? Well, I, I don't think you can open up a movie in Russia right now because you can't get the money out, number one. It's hard to get money in to actually support it, number two. Uh-huh. Uh, and the so, ruble is worth nothing. So what's the and, point? And do, you want to ad- and do you want to advertise on Russian television right now, which is airing propaganda and lies and misinformation? Do you want to have your movie ads appearing amidst that? Well, also, the, with every, as Patrick Vosikowski pointed out in, in a piece on CJ, you know, every, every ticket has a, has a tax, right? So, and that tax goes to the government. The government actually uses it right now to make weapons to go 
fight Ukraine. So, but, here, but here's the here's the flip side, and I'm all for making a political decision and putting that ahead of box office. What happens if you say no? We're not showing our movies here, but you decide in November the war has ended. Russia has withdrawn its troops. They're not sorry. They haven't apologized as such, but Putin is still in power. Uh, you start to show films again. Will the Russian people be pissed that you said we're not showing you our summer movies? Will they hold it against you? Will you poison that market for years to come? Or will people in other countries say, I don't like the fact that you're doing business in Russia again? They didn't apologize. They're still threatening Finland and Sweden if they join NATO. Uh, you know, so you know, there's repercussions in all sorts of different ways and all these studios and everybody's going to have to think about it, right? These are just not easy issues unless you just take a political stance and say, damn the economic consequences. Well, yes. And I think, you know, an easier decision might be, you know, the Champions League final was moved from Russia to Paris. Well, that's in September though. So it was that, or that was later in the year, I believe. Uh, I know yes, Formula One, I'm sorry, Formula One was what I was thinking about. That racing uh, competition canceled the Russian Grand Prix in September. The Russian Grand Prix, that's very different. Let's not make a Trump joke there. The Russian Grand Prix in September. Yes. Yeah, so you know, when does the, the Champions League final, which was taking place, when was that happening? I'm not sure. Right now, it's maybe sort of a safety issue. It's just not practical. But, you know, there are Ukrainian players that can't compete anywhere in the world right now because it's not safe. Multiple countries have petitioned FIFA, FIFA not to play any World Cup games on Russian soil. Poland and Sweden refused to play Russia. It sounded like for a minute Russia was going to win the World Cup. Nobody was going to play them. And unless uh, FIFA got some, you know, got some cojones and said, we're going to ban Russia, it looked like they would just get defaults all the way and say, we're the new champions of the World Cup. Thank you very much. However, FIFA has stepped up and UEFA. They have both suspended Russia from all soccer events. The IOC, the corrupt IOC, which just held the Olympics in China, have called on all sporting bodies to ban Russia and Belarus from competitions. Players, if they're from those countries, should compete as neutrals only if that's what you have to do or want to do. How did that work out for you during the, the Winter Olympics? How did that, that work out? That's what they did. They had Russian players yeah. competing without the national anthem or their national flag. They were just the ROC, Russian whatever, Olympic, Olympic Committee, whatever they yeah, call it. Yeah. yeah. So that's a big mess, but that's interesting. And how long did they keep that in place until the tanks roll back into Russia? Until there are reparations made? I mean, what is the metric for unrolling that? I think there are the right decisions, but they now need to think about when do we stop this ban? Under what circumstances does Putin need to be removed from power? Is that possible? Then why not ban China? <laughs> why not ban North Korea? You know, well, so, you know, that's and, that that's what, uh, you know, look, the difference between what's going on in Ukraine right now and what's going on in Xinjiang is that there was no military action. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, and there is crimes against humanity in China. Let's not forget that. But before we get there, uh, Sean Penn is on the ground filming a documentary for Vice. God bless him. He's putting his life on the line to uh, make some, uh, you know, do this project. He's been to Haiti. He's gone to the Ukraine. Whatever you think of his politics, the guy, you know, puts himself on the line and is following his passion and doing it. And I think that's cool. I don't like his, his El Chapo interview didn't go well, but a lot of his reporting and journalism has been very solid and good, well-written stuff. So, you know, more credit to him. The Simpsons, of course, the Simpsons predicted Russia would invade Ukraine. They said, come on, that's not really a big prediction. Russia's been saying for 20 years we want to invade Ukraine and take back all those countries that were part of the greater Russia. So they said, don't give us that much credit. It's not like, you know, it's not like predicting something that's crazy. Who would have ever seen that coming? Uh, Paddington. 
I love this. President Zelensky voiced Paddington the Bear for the local dubbing of Paddington and Paddington 2. Isn't that hilarious? Because he's obviously an actor and a comedian, and he did do the voice for Paddington when it aired in the Ukrainian market. And not a lot of people know this, but Putin, he voiced Gollum uh, for The Lord of the Rings. Did a really great job, I thought. I, I don't necessarily, I think that might be, I'm checking my, I think that might be uh, not that Putin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are all very complicated issues. It's complicated. They now need to think about when are they going to roll them back? What standards or metrics do we need to see? Or are we just wait until it's safe and hoping nobody cares so we can make our money? That may be well what they end up doing. Well, well actually, let, let's go. I mean, you're, that's making an assumption, right? And about what? That, that Russia goes ba- back to Russia. Uh, and leaves Ukraine. No, I'm saying what what metric do you need to to say we're going to stop the ban on Russian athletes or the Russian teams playing in FIFA and the World Cup? Is it the war ends? Is it Russia removes from Ukraine? What about its troops in Crimea that it's been occupying for several years now? Do they need to roll back? You know, what are you? I'm not assuming anything. I'm not assuming they leave Ukraine. I'm saying, when are you going to say the ban ends? You have to think about that. Right. I mean, the, the a real problem comes, as you just mentioned, what happens if, you know, uh, Kiev falls and then all of a sudden you have Ru- a Russian occupied Ukraine and then what? Well, that seems easy. Then you're not going to allow them in at all. Yeah. The ban stays right. in place, but it's complicated. It's difficult. And let's look at what just happened with China. They just hosted the Olympics. The IOC had no problems with that. And one story that could have gotten lost in the shuffle is the Olympian gold medalist Niels van der Poel gave his gold medal to the daughter of Hong Kong publisher uh, Gui Minhai. Uh, we've talked about this guy, Gui Minhai. Gui is the guy who is a publisher in Hong Kong. He has Swedish citizenship. He was in Thailand, I believe, Thailand, when Chinese people grabbed him and dragged him back to China to put him on trial. That's scary. That should have been an international outcry. That's, I mean, a sovereign citizen of Sweden was kidnapped in Thailand by China. That's insanity. And they dragged him back, had a show trial, claimed he had left the scene of an accident, which they forced him to say on air. Everybody knows it's BS. That man had all his time in jail. He finished out his sentence and they're not releasing him. He's still under lock and key in China. So Niels Vanderpol heard this story perhaps wisely said, I'm not willing to risk my, my life and sanity and my teammates by speaking out while I'm in China. But as soon as he got back onto safe soil, he wanted to do something. And he gave his gold medal to that man's daughter in a little ceremony. So I thought that was cool. And I was really struck by something. The daughter says, you know, we're not naive. We know this gesture isn't going to change the world. But you know what? Maybe we need to be a little naive at times. Maybe making those gestures, even if you think they're hopeless or not going to make, you know, it's important. It matters to show that little gesture. Just like you see SNL have the Ukrainian choir from New York on their air, just like the Empire State Building or the uh, Eiffel Tower being lit up with the gold and blue lights of the Ukrainian flag. And, you know, I, I was like, you know what? You're right. Because I felt a little silly. I had thought about, you know, putting the Ukrainian flag as my Facebook thing. I thought, oh, that's so silly. Who cares what I do? And I'm you know what? Be silly. Be a little naive. Why not? So I did it. But now you know I bring up China and I bring up this incident because I want to know and have people thought about this. What happens when China invades Taiwan? You know, Putin invading Ukraine did not come out of the blue. He's been saying for decades, that's my country. China has been saying for decades, Taiwan is our country. What's going to happen when China invades Taiwan? 
There's a lot more entanglement in our economies between the U.S. and China than there is between the U.S. and Russia. We got more entanglements with Ukraine than we do with Russia, though Russia does have the fertilizer. That's a big problem. But the Chinese box office is the biggest box office in the world. Half our Apple products are assembled in China. Uh, there's a lot of problems when you go to China. Maybe people should be thinking about that right now. I think they are. I think a lot of people are saying, you know, uh, Xi Jinping is looking at this and going, okay, uh, you know, we really wanted to uh, take Taiwan and, and, and uh, Vladimir, you're, you're not helping. Okay. <laughs> well, they, hopefully they're also seeing how it blew up in his face. Everything he wanted to prevent. He wanted to secure his borders. He wanted to have peace in his country. He wanted to show his dominance. He wanted to keep Europe fractured and unstable and divided. And instead, he has united Europe. Uh, he has probably, God willing, allowed a long-term change in their energy policy. Germany and France have been accepting cheap energy from Russia for far too long when they should have been pushing for more energy independence. They've stopped the pipeline that will hopefully never be built. It shouldn't be just for the climate. Forget politics. And if that can happen and they can get more energy independent and Europe is more united, suddenly Sweden and Finland are saying, we want to join the uh, NATO and the EU. Uh, Ukraine has just applied, I believe, unofficially for uh, a membership of the EU. Uh, and Germany is upping its defense budget and Europe is getting together and sending weapons to Ukraine because better to have Ukraine fight them than have us fight them in Paris. Yes, you know, stop them now. Don't wait till they get closer. So everything he wanted to fight against has blown up in his face and is happening. And hopefully China will see that and go, yeah, they think they can just take Taiwan and nobody will care. But that's not true. And I believe that uh, Ukraine is in the EU already. I, I, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's not a member of NATO. I believe it's... Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, maybe it's, it's a part of the Shenzhen region now uh, as of uh, 2016, Ukraine. However, uh, yeah. you're right. And part of this issue is that, you know, Ukraine yeah, held an, off on an, joining. They, they have an agreement. They're not officially a member of the EU. That's something that Russia considered a red line. So there is a there is a, a European Union and Ukraine Association agreement between the EU, Euratom, Ukraine, and the EU's twenty eight member states at the time. Uh, so it, it ha there's a political and economic association between them, but it is not officially part of the EU yet. That's something Russia right. has been nor, yelling nor and screaming about. Nor is Sweden and Finland, but now now they want to be. <laughs> right. And nor is uh, Ukraine part of NATO, although they have been invited and went through went through the entire process up to the point where they said, OK, let's sign on the dotted line, because, again, uh, Russia was saying, if you do that, that's a line too far and you're going to piss us off. And they literally have said Ukra the Ukrainian government has said we would have joined NATO. But boy, that really would have provoked Russia. My question now is, of course, and this gets too political, but um, hey. What did you have to lose? <laughs> They're invading you when you didn't join. Could you imagine what they would have done if you had? Well, that, that's the whole point. Yeah. So, so that, you know, it's, uh, uh, you can put the blame on Russia, though. So what they gained was saying we could do it and we chose not to. You attacked us anyway. And that's why the entire world is on Ukraine's side. Some Republicans want to attack the U.S. and say, oh, it's our fault for allowing these countries. No, no. <laughs> Russia is an aggressor. They're attacking their neighbors. These are sovereign nations. They have no right to invade and occupy them. They've done it anyway. And our being on the side of free countries to decide their own sovereign nature, which is what China yells and screams about a lot. Uh, no, we're on the right side and Russia is on the wrong side. We do not provoke them by having Sweden and Finland join the EU or NATO is not a provocation of Russia. That doesn't make them less safe unless they want to attack and kill their neighbors. They can just they can join the EU, too. They've been invited. You know, I 
think uh, what's interesting is Tucker Carlson, who is the Fox News, uh, I guess, host, you would call him. He's a host of their number one show, yeah. Uh, the day before this, this uh, you know, uh, Russia entered Ukraine, he was saying, I don't understand why everybody's so upset with Putin. It, did Putin threaten to kill my children? Did he threaten Christianity? Did he? And he like basically was was it was I, as I was listening to him, I thought this may not be the right time for you to be saying any of this stuff, because sure enough, 24 hours later, he had to he didn't necessarily walk some of it back. But uh, no, it's still Joe Biden's fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the yeah, whole Republican Party has like, that problem. Why is why? How does he still have sponsors? I just don't get from a from a economic standpoint how you know Fox News could could not turn around and go, hey, you know, if you want sponsors, you might want to cool it on the whole like Hitler great. Well, uh, his career is is flourishing. It's certainly not dying, and yeah. but other people are dying, aren't they? It happens all the time. Yeah, we have a number of uh, you know, and a number of people this week, and one who uh, kind of surprised me was Mark Lanigan, who uh, you know he was kind of grunge before grunge. That's right. Were you a fan? You know, I not not of the Screaming Trees. I guess I, I liked uh, Queens of the Stone Age, obviously. But uh, you know, he was kind of seen as uh, he was there. Bef- he was in Seattle and part of the grunge music scene before Nirvana and Pearl Jam and everybody else that, that came after. Uh, yeah, so I've never really paid attention to him. I've never listened to him, um, but that's, that's cool. Um, hmm. Did they say why he died? Because he's very young. Uh, he died at 57. Uh, he didn't, I'm not sure what the cause of death was. I don't believe it was anything sad, um, but he did sing in, in Screaming Trees and the supergroup Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, they placed a song on the soundtrack to Cameron Crowe's movie Singles. That's when Screaming Trees became really big and nationally prominent, but that was just when he went off to do some solo work. Uh, Nirvana right. used his arrangement of the Lead Belly classic Where Did You Sleep Last Night in their MTV Unplugged concert. And he did fight with drug and alcohol addiction for many years, as he documented in his 2020 memoir. This is hilarious, I think. As a young man, one of his jobs was repossessing VCR machines for a local video store. Like he would rent a VCR machine and take it home so you could watch some VHS tapes. And then he wouldn't bother to return it. And he would somehow show up and get it back. <laughs> it's like, what a job. <laughs> that's, just, that's, just, uh, that's just crazy. Uh, I was checking something while you were talking. Uh, uh, Ford and Toyota are still uh, advertising on Fox News. Ah, okay. Uh, but are, are they, they advertising Chevron? It doesn't matter if you're advertising on Fox News. You're supporting, you know, you're supporting Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson because if they don't have advertising, they can't stay on the air. So you're supporting the company and you're supporting what he says. You say, well, I didn't do it on his show. It's like. A, Laura Ingraham and Sean Hannity are not better. And B, so what? That's keeping them on the air. They're, they're paying his salary. So you don't get an out because you advertise on Laura Ingraham. But speaking of, of women, actor Sally Kellerman died at the age of 84. Uh, she, of course, she had a long career with a lot of credits, ranging from an early episode of Star Trek. I remember the episode when they gave us the line that she gave when dying. And she played opposite Rodney Dangerfield in Back to School. A pretty good comedy, but she will live forever thanks to her work with director Robert Altman. It began with MASH and her Oscar-nominated turn as Hot Lips Houlihan, a character who is mockingly harassed by the heroes of the movie in scenes that play very differently today than they did back then. She followed that with Bruce McCloud, and then she said, yeah, he was kind of a male chauvinist, but a great director. When he called her up and said, did she want to be in a new movie? She said, only if it's a good part, and he hung up on her, <laughs> ending her chance to be in Nashville. And sing on screen, which she has always regretted. Why? 
because, uh, you know, she was a really good singer. They didn't work again until The Player, but they did work on The Player and Pret-a-Porter in a TV show he did. But her desire to sing was not casual. She was in musicals as a kid. She sent a demo on her own to legendary producer Norman Granz of Verve, and he offered her a recording contract. But she was 18 and too scared to take it, she said. Instead, she went to acting class, uh, taking an acting class alongside Robert Blake, James Coburn, and Jack Nicholson. So, uh, you know, an interesting career, obviously overshadowed by Hot Lips Houlihan, but she was the mom in A Little Romance with Diane Lane, a movie that I, I quite like. Well, and speaking of singers, we have the uh, singer of Procol Harum, Gary Brooker, who died at the age of 76. A Whiter Shade of Pale. You know that song? Can you think of it? When you hear that title, do you know the song? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a big, enduring FM staple. That song is now in the Grammy Hall of Fame. Procol Harum had that song. It was their first single. They had some other hits like Conquistador, and they stayed together for a decade. But really, it's Procol Harum and that song that really gave him enduring fame. He did receive the MBE from the Queen for charitable work uh, that he has done ever since then. So a long, distinguished career. A career I was not aware of was singer Joni James. She died at the age of 91. Why am I talking about her? I'll tell you in a second. I think it's interesting, technologically speaking. But she had a big career. She died in 91. She burst onto the charts with the number one hit, Why Don't You Believe Me? Soon followed it with a cover of Hank Williams' Your Cheatin' Heart and another song called him How Important Can It Be? She was on all the TV shows, Ed Sullivan and so on. She sang on the Academy Awards doing a song that was made uh, sung in the movie by Danny Kaye. She was the first pop singer to have a solo concert at Carnegie Hall over that decade. In the 50s, she released dozens of albums, though the hits slowed down, of course, as rock and roll took over. Then her husband got diabetes and she took off two decades to care for him. And she didn't return to touring and recording more albums until the 1990s. But then she had a pretty good comeback and people paid attention to her. Barbara Streisand was a big fan and she had Joni James as a guest of honor when they gave a Lifetime Achievement Award to Streisand at the American Film Institute. So that's all interesting. And of course, I said, oh, never heard of her. I got to listen to it. Went to Spotify, and she does have two compilations on there. But basically, out of the 30-plus albums she recorded, none of them are available. Every time you make a transition from uh, 78s to vinyl or vinyl to compact disc and compact disc to streaming, you lose a lot of music. And Joni James has disappeared. She made the transition to CD. There was some talk about albums that were remastered and she was overseeing them and involved in them. And she did a new album or two, maybe for Concord for all I know, but her basic, her body of work completely gone. Unless you rush out back and buy old copies on vinyl or CD, you cannot go out and just listen to her music the way you can with most new acts. That's the price you pay when you make a technological leap. And there's so much music that goes missing. You feel like everything is available at the touch of a, a you know, touch of a keyboard. It's just not the case. But we're available at the touch of a keyboard. You can just, you know, subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Podcast uh, directory. Hey, we should, we should put our we should put our show on like seventy eights, so that no, if we if the digital copies disappear, people can always get a Victrola, crank the handle, and play us on seventy eight. We'd need about thirty to do a, a typical episode, but I think it'd be worth it. You know, you imagine you have a box set of 30 78s just to play one episode of Showbiz Sandbox. You get about four minutes on a side. So, yeah, eight, eight minutes on a, on, a, on a thing, an hour and 20 minutes. So that's 80 minutes. You need about 10 78s to do one episode of Showbiz Sandbox. That's backbreaking. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll do that right after I'm done uh, putting them all on uh, wax cylinders that I have here. Uh, oh, that would so. be cool. 
Yeah. Uh, we're also in the Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere they get podcasts away for free, you can find us. And in any one of those podcast aggregators that, that lets you rate and review us, please do so. It helps us out when you do that. That information, as well as links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode, can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That is also where you'll find ways to contact us. You can email us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're on Twitter where our handle is at showbizsandbox. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group MGMT. They can be found on their own website, who is MGMT.com. Michael Giltz, he's got something new for us every single week because, well, Michael, what is your website this week? This week it's TolkienEstate.com. I have no idea why it would be Tolkien. The estate of J.R.R. Tolkien has refreshed their website. They did a great job. A lot of new drawings and maps and illustrations. There's especially a section with audio and video of Tolkien talking. It looks lovely. Very well done. And if you're a Tolkien fanatic like I am, it's like candy. Okay. Well, uh, well, well Michael, uh, I guess gain some weight due to the the visual candy that he's eating uh with the Tolkien Estate website. You know, if you really want to catch up on all, on all of his uh coverage of the entertainment industry, why not head on over to michaelgiltz.com where all of his work is aggregated. Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. <laughs>